Now, I obviously can't see what's happening on the other side of this screen, but I sure hope that you all were writing down my marriage tips. I mean, I worked really, really hard on those. But, but here's the truth and, and the reasoning behind why we're doing this series right now titled Bad Advice. Uh, if we were all to take a hard look at our lives, whether you would identify as a Christian or not, we all, every one of us, we follow bad advice way more than we would probably like to admit. And so what we've been doing here throughout the course of this series is, is presenting this, this bad advice that the world regularly throws our way. And I think we've all seen, at least in the context of church, how, how painfully obvious it is that this advice is indeed terrible. And, and then we've been flipping it around and presenting the good, the, the better, the, the best advice that God would like to offer to every single one of us. I mentioned this actually in the first part of this series. Uh, see, God doesn't just offer you something different. No, no, he invites you into something so much better. So, so in part one of this series, we talked about how you can drift from God. Uh, last week, my dad, Terry, did an incredible job breaking down how you can become an addict. And by the way, if you missed either one of those first two weeks of this series, uh, I'd really, really encourage you to head on over to grumlaw.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. Uh, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts. Now, now today, as we head into part three, uh, we're going to talk, be talking about a subject that, that is sure to make all of us, I think, probably at least a little little bit uncomfortable, and I'll admit it's a little bit ironic that we're touching on this particular subject on, of all days, Valentine's Day, but before I kind of dive in, I, I want some help from all of you, and again, I can't really see you, but please, you know, just participate. I, I want you to raise your hand first if you're, if you're married, so if you're watching out there and you're married, go ahead and raise your hand, okay, put your hands down. Now raise your hand if you're not married, but someday you would like to be married. My guess is, is if you're participating right now, that probably includes just about every person watching. Now, everybody put your hands down. Now raise your hand if someday you would like to commit adultery. It's about what I expected, right? And in fact, this is one of those areas that, that whether you're a Jesus follower or not, we all pretty much agree that cheating on your spouse, cheating on your mate is a really, really bad idea. I think we could actually even all agree in referencing and referring to it as sin. In the book of Exodus, which we find in the Old Testament, in fact, this is listed as one of the Ten Commandments, one of the big ten, uh, the writer says, you must not commit adultery. I mean, this is a command directly from God. And, and even if you're just kind of starting to explore, or maybe you think the Bible's a little bit conservative, antiquated, my guess is, is that you can probably get on board with this command. But, but what's interesting is, is even though we have pretty much universal agreement on this, many people still do it. Many people still commit adultery. In fact, one study that I came across this week as I was preparing for this message, and specifically in the Journal of Psychology and Christianity, suggests that as high as 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will commit adultery at some point during their marriage. I feel like there should just be this audible, universal, like, ugh, this groan happening right now. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of marriages destroyed. That's a lot of households ripped apart. That's a lot of kids now facing a brutal childhood. Now, let me make this really, really clear here on the front end. My goal this morning certainly isn't to induce fear. It's not to cast suspicion and doubt into every relationship. In fact, in a lot of ways, I really wish I didn't have to teach this message today. 
But, but I truly feel that I have an obligation to teach this. And I 100% know it's a message that we all, whether you're Christian, not a Christian, married, single, we all need to hear this. N- nobody, including me, is exempt from this. We, we would all be wise to heed the advice that's given to us in Scripture on this particular subject. Because I promise you, and a a friend of mine actually recently said this to me when we were discussing this particular subject, when yet again, another hero in the Christian faith had their entire life and ministry in an instant undone by their selfish sexual actions. He, He literally texted me these words, holier people than us have fallen. Holier people than you and I have fallen victim to this sin. This deceitfulness, that this inclination, it exists inside every single one of us. And if we as a people aren't intentional about rejecting the bad advice that our world regularly throws our way and simultaneously embracing the good, that the best advice that God offers to us through his word, it is certainly not unthinkable that we too could find ourselves in a very compromising situation. Because as we just mentioned, nobody, I mean, nobody plans on committing adultery. But yet, it happens all the time. And again, I think this probably goes without saying, but I'm just going to say it just in case. Christians certainly are not exempt. So whether you're married, single, Christian, not a Christian, no matter where you find yourself in this whole faith journey, I think you would be really wise to listen up and embrace what we're going to be covering here today. And and all you single people, let me just talk to you real quick that are listening. The the, the temptation throughout this message is going to be kind of to tune out and think to yourself, well, this doesn't really apply as much to me. I'm not married yet. This is just kind of for the married people today. I'm just going to kind of zone out and jack around on my phone. Wrong. And here's why. You do not prepare for a healthy, successful marriage by drinking from a fire hose the day that you meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. You prepare well for a marriage by taking intentional steps in that direction now while you are still single. Because otherwise, you're just going to be dragging bad habits and bad advice into a marriage that's already going to have a myriad of challenges. So before we get to the good advice, sticking true to the series, let's pause and take a peek at some of the bad advice that our world regularly throws our way and that we often embrace, sometimes intentionally, but often unintentionally. So here we go. Some bad advice. In fact, three easy steps that you can take in order to commit adultery. You ready for this? Buckle up. Number one, neglect your marriage. Neglect your marriage. And and the most practical way that you could actually make this a reality is by finding something, I mean, really anything at all to give your best to. So so sure, I mean, it could be as obvious as that attractive coworker, but but it could also be far more discreet. Maybe a hobby like hunting or gardening, your pets, your job, social media, fitness. I mean, it could even be your kids. And, And this is particularly sinister because kids are actually a really good thing. But start obsessing over them. Use them as an instrument to neglect your marriage. You can also just kind of start letting yourself go. I mean, take zero care of your personal appearance. Wear that robe every single day that kind of has the pancake mix crusted all over it. Wear those baggy sweats that you picked up back at Salval, you know, five years ago when you were in college. Wear those like every day of the week. Don't talk and be honest with your spouse. Keep the conversation really, really superficial. And better yet, actually pretty much keep it limited to whatever Netflix show you happen to be watching together. When it comes to physical intimacy, you ready for this? Boring and predictable is the name of the game. 
I'll just kind of leave it at that because there's probably some kids who are watching this morning. All right, number two, form an emotional bond with someone else. Start by actually selecting somebody in your life that you already have a decent amount of contact with and then start finding those common interests. So it could be a coworker, maybe a neighbor, maybe your kid's teacher, somebody you work out with, and then start feeding yourself these really helpful lines like, well, she just understands me and he's such a good listener. And, and, and she appreciates my sense of humor. I mean, I am so funny. Or, or there's just a real connection that's happening. To do anything to begin to form that emotional bond with somebody else. And as that bond begins to be formed, as it begins to blossom, hide this person from your spouse. You're going to want to act as if they don't even exist. Start flirting more at work. I mean, intentionally seek out ways that you can spend even more time with this person. Text, and even better yet, hit up those DMs. Now, this is a little bit of a sidebar here. I don't know, maybe this is just a me thing. But the first time I even heard the phrase DM, I was like, I don't know what that means, but it just kind of sounds strangely sexual. All right, number three, make excuses and rationalize your actions. You you know, things like, well, if he just paid more attention to me or if she would meet my needs. I mean, if he was just home more often, if she would just compliment me every once in a while or my personal favorite, I'm just so happy when I'm with him. And and doesn't God just want me to be happy? I mean, isn't that the ultimate pursuit in life to be happy? Make excuses, rationalize, continue to feed yourself the lie that this is just harmless, it's just flirting, it will never actually go anywhere. And if you find yourself kind of getting too close to the line, start telling yourself, well, maybe this is actually what God wanted all along. In fact, maybe the very point of my marriage was to lead me to this very moment with this individual. Now, just in case you kind of hopped in late, this is officially the bad advice portion of the message. That, that was all very sarcastic, bad advice that our world does indeed regularly throw our way. It, it, advice that we often embrace without even noticing. So, so, so that's the bad. Now let's kind of flip this and take a look at the good, at the better advice that God would like to offer to every one of us. Advice that we all, again, whether you're married, single, Christian, not a Christian, would be wise to embrace and live out. Number one, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to radically reduce the risks. One of the really interesting things to kind of take note of when examining sexual sin is the nature in which scripture speaks about it. See, with with a lot of other sin, when, when you kind of begin to dive in and read this stuff for yourself in this book that we call the Bible, Jesus, God, uh, the writer of that particular book, that they, they tell us things like to stand guard or stand up against it or, or fight or, or resist the sin. But, but not the case with sexual sin. You know, want to know the advice that we're almost exclusively given in this particular area? Pa- Paul puts it like this, run. Run. Get away. L- literally head for the hills. Run from sexual sin. Uh, other translations will often use the word flee Run, get away, get get as far away from sexual sin as possible. And and Paul, who's the writer here, he explains why this should be our approach, all of us, all of our approach to sexual sin. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. He's pointing out something here that all of us actually deep down know to be true, that that, that sexual sin is unique. One of the things that I often hear in in my position as a pastor is people will will come to me and be like, well, all sin's the same, right? I mean, all sin's equal. 
And, and that's kind of true. Yes, all, all sin is equal in that it separates us from God. All sin is equal in that it damages our relationship with God. But, but please, don't be so naive to believe that all sin has equal consequences and has equal effects on you and the people around you, and in particular, the people that you care about most. See, virtually every other mistake, every other sin, you can fully recover from. But, but sexual sin is almost impossible to fully recover from. Which is why the, the advice that we are given in this book called the Bible, it, it tells us exclusively to run, to flee, to get away. You can recover from financial disasters. You, you can recover from addiction disasters. You can recover from strained relationships with family. But, but sexual sin is almost impossible to fully recover from. You, you, you never hear people sharing those stories and laughing it off. I mean, take for example, just this last week, we were talking about addiction. And my older brother for years struggled with alcoholism and praise God, he is years and years and years now sober. And because of the content of this last Sunday's message, leading up to the Super Bowl, we're sitting around as a family and we were literally laughing about some of the boneheaded decisions that he made when he was drunk, when he was an alcoholic. We laughed about it. It was funny. I have had so many conversations with friends and loved ones where we sit around and we laugh about the idiotic decisions that they made financially. It's so funny. They've recovered. But not the case with sexual sin. You never hear people sharing those stories and laughing about it. And the reason this is the case is because sex is not just physical. As Paul points out right here, and as he goes on to describe, it goes so much deeper than that. And when you cross certain lines, when it comes to your sexuality, there are things that you will carry with you for the rest of your life. So all you single people in particular, please, I'm begging you, take this advice now and save yourself the grief later. Because of what I do for a living, I have the opportunity and the privilege uh, to spend a ton of time with engaged couples leading up to their marriages. And, and you'll never guess what is always the biggest pressure point, the biggest point of contention, the biggest strain on the relationship leading up to the wedding date. Every single time, universally, it is decisions that were made sexually prior to them meeting each other and sexual decisions that were made early on in the relationship. I mean, it's unbelievable. You'll see these couples that are carrying literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt into the relationship, and they don't even bat an eye. You'll see these glaring tensions with parents and in-laws, and you have to convince them to talk about it. That they can be on completely different wavelengths when it comes to household responsibilities. And they're like, eh, we'll figure it out. But, but our sexuality, whoa, 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 we need to park there. In fact, we need to talk about that. And we need to hash and rehash that over and over and over and over again. All sins affect our body, but, but no other sin has such a disastrous effect on our memories, our personality, and, and our soul, as does sexual sin. And, and the truth is, I don't really think I'm revealing anything revelational this morning. Because every single one of us, we have firsthand accounts of the damage, the guilt, and, and the memories that have proven very difficult, if not impossible, to get rid of. So run, flee, get away. All, all you married people watching, here's a really, really good litmus test to kind of turn on to yourself if you're wondering if perhaps you're kind of flirting with disaster. 
perhaps you're flirting rather than running, flirting rather than fleeing. Ask yourself this question. If your spouse had a camera on you all day, would there be anything you would hope they would not see? See, this is such a good question because it cuts right through all the lazy BS excuses. It cuts through all of the rationalizations. See, you can rationalize all day that it's not a big deal talking to that coworker. But if your spouse was watching, is it still that innocent? Do, do those little flirtatious remarks suddenly appear a little bit more sinister? That that content that you're consuming on the Discover page of Instagram, is it still no big deal if your wife was looking over your shoulder? That those couple drinks after work with your coworkers, still just like a work thing? That that spin class with that person, still just two people encouraging each other to get in better shape? Let me kind of twist the knife a little more. That, that, that funny comment about your wife, would she hear that as a joke? Or maybe just downright disrespectful? That the text between your boys, still just boys being boys, or, or suddenly something embarrassing or absolutely humiliating? Let's flip this again on the single people. That the habits you are developing now will be habits that you carry into your future marriage. The decisions you are making now will absolutely rise to the surface in your future marriage, for better or for worse. If your future spouse had a video of all your single decisions, I mean, shoot, with the world we live in now, that's probably not even a hypothetical. If they saw that footage, would they want to crawl into a hole? Would you want to crawl into a hole? Or would that be content that you would be proud to present to your future spouse? The, the decisions you're making now, in particular in the arena of your sexuality, will have a dramatic effect and impact on your future marriage. So, so as we think about reducing the risk, doing whatever we can to reduce the risks, here I think are some really helpful tips. First and foremost, pursue a relationship with Jesus. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking. Uh, you have to say that. You're the pastor. That just like, okay, it's cliche. And I'm telling you all that this is the single most important habit that you could possibly develop. And this is one of those habits that impacts literally every other habit, every other thing in our lives. We talked a lot about, a lot about this in the first week. Make that daily encounter, that daily time with Jesus a true priority. That The very first thing you do when you wake up is you spring off the pillow and you begin to open up and actually read that Bible for your yourself. Allow it to speak to you. Allow it to really infiltrate your life. Allow it to convict. Allow it to grow you. Sin lives and grows best in the dark. And one of the best ways that you can pull that sin into the light is by inviting Jesus into your life every single day. Inviting him into that daily rhythm of just speaking to him and opening up his word. So pursue that relationship with Jesus. Never be alone with someone of the opposite sex. Married people, never violate this. Don't eat alone. Don't drive alone. Now all you single people are thinking, are you kidding me? How am I going to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright? Okay. Don't all you single people, don't be hanging out one-on-one -on -one with other married people. I can guarantee you that one day when you're married, you're not going to want your bride hanging out with some good looking young single guy. And the same would go for the married men as well. Don't be hanging out with married women. 
Now, every single time that I bring this up, and I've advocated this for a long time. In fact, this is actually traditionally referred to now as the Billy Graham rule. I think Billy Graham was the guy that probably popularized it. After all, it's named after him. But every single time I mention this, I get accused of some certain things. I get people that are mad at me. They tell me it's old-fashioned. It's unrealistic. A lot of people will commonly look at me and say, I need to do this for my job. In fact, the last time that I spoke on this, somebody came up to me and said, you're being chauvinistic by advocating for this. Church, just because something is acceptable, just because something is encouraged, just because something might even be mandated by your job does not make it wise. And you know that to be true. Because every single one of us have, oh, I don't know, probably about 300 examples in our lives that we can point to where we did something that was encouraged, acceptable, mandated, and it still got us into a lot of trouble. Don't settle for acceptable when wisdom is right around the corner. Never talk bad about your spouse. Never, ever, ever, ever. No matter who the audience is. And it's embarrassing that I have to say this, but tis the world that we live in. Don't post negative things about your spouse on social media. Your spouse, you ever heard this? Your spouse will become what you say about them. They'll grow into it. You should be the one person that they can always count on to have their back. That that fierce loyalty that exists. Never undermine your spouse by speaking poorly of them, no matter who the audience is. So surround yourself with strong marriages. You're going to become like the relationships that you surround yourself with. So, so if you only hang out with couples who fight and undermine each other, and they get hammered on the weekends, and they rationalize questionable behavior, you will soon become like them. We talked a little bit about this in the first week. Bad company corrupts what? Good character. Conversely, if you surround yourself with healthy couples who are pursuing Jesus, and their marriages only seem to be getting better with age, you will become like them. Single people, I want to encourage you to do this now. Don't just hang out with other single people. Rather than seeing the fact that you're still single as a negative thing, invest in your future marriage now by hanging around couples and families that you want to model, that you want to emulate your future marriage after. Uh, Avoid all questionable places and situations. Don't go places where you might be tempted. So you're on that business trip and there's a bunch of people that are going to go hang out in the lobby bar and you know they're probably going to be there till 3 a.m. and you know that probably some bad decisions are going to be made. Just go to bed. An ex DMs you and wants to reconnect and hear how life is going. Delete, 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 delete. Better yet, block, block, block. Can I just kind of get this off my chest real quick? Because I've seen this firsthand derail so many marriages, so many relationships, and I've long felt like this is something so obvious, but I share this with young couples in particular, and they look back at me like suddenly I'm speaking a foreign language. Sit down, because I'm going to get too fired up about this. Upon saying I do, you forfeit all friendships with people of the opposite sex. It's no longer acceptable to text him, to text her, just to check in on their day, just to see how they're doing. Now, now does that mean that you can't have anybody of the opposite sex in your phone, that, that, that you can't have uh, working relationships with these individuals? Of course not. I work with plenty of people who are of the opposite sex, but I'm not texting Denise. I'm not texting Jenna. I'm not texting Maddie when they wake up in the morning and saying, hey, how's your day going? Just wanted to wish you a great day. Just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you. It's inappropriate. It's no longer appropriate to be sending Snapchats back and forth. So stop playing dumb when I ask, why haven't you deleted her contact info? 
oh, I, I should delete the contact information of, of the person that I dated for three years that every time I utter her name, my, my spouse shudders? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Avoid all, not some. Don't flirt, flee. Now, the truth is, is that a lot of these harmful relationships stem from our places of employment. And it makes sense, right? Because we spend so much time there. And, and there are absolutely people who are watching right now that you have gone too far down this path. And my encouragement to you would be to take drastic action. Even if that means finding a new job, even if that means relocating, even if that means taking a demotion to get away from him, to get away from her, it is way easier to find a new job than to rebuild a marriage. Now, now last thing on this point, this might also sound a little bit harsh, but I promise I'm not advocating for anything that I don't personally practice. For all you guys in particular, Get filters on all of your electronic devices, even if you've never struggled with pornography. Because every single one of us, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're female, male, we all know how easy it is to go down that path where you accidentally see something and then it's another image and another image and it's more content and it's more. And before you know it, you're like, how in the heck did I get here? Put filters that, that keep you so far away from that line, whether you're married, single, young, old, Christian, atheist, because even if you're a 25-year-old single person, that there is nothing good that is gonna come from your porn addiction in your future marriage. Number two, and I promise we're gonna rip through these last couple, do whatever it takes to invest passionately in your marriage. In the book of Proverbs, which we find in the Old Testament, it's a collection of wise sayings, uh, the writer says here, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let, let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? So some of you are thinking, that's in the Bible? It's like, dang right. You're like, all right, maybe I'll download that version thing after all. Now, if the grass seems greener, what the writer's saying here, if the grass seems greener on the other side, it's probably time to water your own lawn. Invest in your marriage. So one, get alone. A lot of the marriages that are literally watching right now, you stop dating once you said I do. For a lot more of you, you stop dating the moment that you had your first child. I can't tell you how many couples that I've talked to who, who literally have not been on a date, they have not been on a trip with just the two of them literally since they had children. Church, that's not healthy. Now, now call me old-fashioned husbands. I think for the most part, this falls on you. you. You should be the one initiating this. You should be the one making this happen. Pay for the sitter. Get creative. Date your bride. And just kind of as a bonus tip, you start doing this, I promise the second half of the date will start coming a whole lot easier. And, and even though you're maybe chuckling to yourself, I'm being serious. That's one of the most practical gifts that a couple has to offer to each other. Probably be a little bit more impactful if this was coming from the lips of my wife. But if you've lost some of that physical intimacy, think back to what has changed and recapture that at least three times a week, okay? Now, date your spouse at least bi-weekly, but even better, weekly. One night of the week with just the two of you, no kids allowed. I promise you I love my children, but I love my wife more. So get alone and get spiritual. Pray together. Get in a group together. Attend church together. 
Worship and sing to Jesus together. Share with your spouse what God is teaching you. Share those wins with each other. So get alone, get spiritual. And then number three, do whatever it takes to visualize the potential destruction. Again, in the book of Proverbs, it says, for the lips of an immoral woman, and don't think men that you're exempt because we could easily flip this and say, for the lips of an immoral man, for the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. As human beings, we are victims of the moment and we often don't think too far ahead. So the flirting, the pornography, the, the affair even might seem good in the moment, but, but look ahead. It'll lead to death. It'll lead to disaster. For, for me, I literally imagine having to explain this to my kids, how it would absolutely devastate my wife, how it would have the strong potential to literally ruin this church, how it would cause people undeniably, to walk away from the Christian faith altogether. But more than that, I I think about coming face to face with the almighty God and the shame, the the embarrassment, the remorse, the guilt. It's like, it's too much to even think about. Needless to say, you don't have to go too far down that rabbit trail to think to yourself, no thanks, not worth it. And, And for those of you taking the bait, romanticizing the situation and thinking that maybe he or she really is the right person for you. Remember that only 3% of people actually end up marrying their forbidden lover. And of those 3%, 75% of those marriages end up in divorce. The statistical odds of a lasting marriage with that person are 0.075. It's less than 1%. And the reason this is the case is because you have built a relationship on lies and deceit, not trust and integrity, which is the cornerstone of any healthy relationship. So visualize that potential destruction. Now, as a wrap up today, I I recognize that for some of you watching right now, this, this is a really hard message to receive because you've either been hurt by the sins of somebody else or you personally have caused a wave of destruction by your choices. And I want to tell you that this is a subject that is very near and dear to the heart of God. God takes the covenant of marriage very, very seriously. And anything that hurts the very people that God saw fit to die for hurts him. He grieves with you. He certainly sees you. And the grace of God is very real. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The arms of God are open wide for those who seek repentance and those who return to him. See, even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. And the truth is, if every one of us were honest, every single person watching right now, we have all been unfaithful to God. We've all placed things or people in our life before him. And despite our constant sinning, despite our rebellion, He's still that loving, grace-filled father waiting for his kids to go running back into his arms. Our God can rebuild. God is mighty to save. He will forgive. He longs to restore. Our God regularly takes what the enemy meant for destruction and he uses it for good. 
And so last thing, if you need help, maybe this is bringing to surface a a pornography addiction, a, a sex addiction. Maybe your marriage is clearly heading towards divorce. Maybe even the papers have been filed. Church, we have resources for you. We have scholarships for counseling. We, we, we have people on standby who, who want to walk alongside you in this journey. And I would literally just invite you right now just to text the word RESTORE to 810-510-0298. And we'll have somebody personally reach out to you so that we can actually talk about this. D- don't remain in isolation. Your situation isn't hopeless or beyond repair because, again, even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Faithful.